Welcome. Like my shoes? Yeah. I got shoes like that yesterday, actually. They're leather. Nice. Are they new? Yeah. Where'd you get them from? They have a worn look, if that's why you're asking why they're brand new and they look don't look brand new. <laughs> they're from Fry. It's fancy. Fry Fry's like the computer store. Do you know Fry's is? <laughs> no. It's like a giant computer store in California. Oh, really? Like, it's like the place where warehouse. you go in and you're like, oh, look at all these motherboards. Yeah, I, well, I know exactly the kind of place you're talking about. They're leather, though, which is good because in New York, every time you get um every time you t- step in a piece of dog shit every time whoa dude we were recording <laughs> for the kids man let's give you pg we're only allowed to curse if we're talking about ember <laughs> no because new york is so dirty so you try to get cloth or what's the word i'm looking for like um what's suede one? yeah or or just um like what's converse made out of fabric yeah <laughs> just throwing <it> <laughs> like fabric or cloth shoes and then you go, you you take a, you know, you take a 10 minute walk in New York and then they're done. They're gone. So the leather ones are actually cl- easier to keep clean. Maybe we could do like Uber for shoes where like you need to go for a walk and you open your cell phone and press a button. Some guy comes and drops off shoes for you. Alexis actually has something like that. It's called Rent the Runway. Yeah. I think Katie used that before. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Whoever thought about that. <laughs> it's Absolutely like brilliant. <laughs> your dream huh just to rent all your clothes right, yeah you come home everything. to an empty apartment and you're like oh tonight i'm gonna need a bed <laughs> a pair of underwear yeah a meal um i'm probably gonna take a shower tomorrow morning so then you just go to the app and you just swipe all the toggles of what you need that night just in time you get home you have a giant box and you have to lug it up up your fourth floor walk up <laughs> no but then you rent someone to help you do that so yeah everything's just in time you wake up, you push a button, just as I go like this, someone comes and puts a toothbrush right in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Toothbrushing on demand. Someone's While I'm doing that, someone's putting deodorant on me. Hey, it's efficient. Right? Everything, you don't own anything. That's how you live. That's how you have to live in 400 square feet. Nah, nah, it's <laughs> like, that's just the reality of it. Pros of working at a WeWork. Cinnamon donuts. Apple cider donuts. Cons of working at a WeWork. Stealing someone's, potentially stealing someone's apple donuts and getting kicked out of the office. Unrelated note, those apple donuts were pretty good. Business risk, like risk to the business, stealing donuts, losing office space. I just got Mirage working on uh, Code Sandbox. Nice. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, It's weird. You go to Code Sandbox and you click Create Sandbox and you click Ember. Um, and it uses an Ember template. No, it uses a node template. Um, I had some issues, but they were completely unrelated to code sandbox. When you click create uh sandbox and you click Ember, it has all the package JSON stuff set at like Ember CLI 3.5 dash beta 2 or something like that. Where, do, where does that come from? Is that like a global just code sandbox config? I have no idea. Okay. But 3.5.1 is the latest release right now. So um, I pulled down, you can click like download. I just download the whole thing as a zip and it's like a full Ember CLI project. And then I run MPX Ember CLI update. It updates the package JSON, a few other things. And so I made those changes and I was having some trouble, but it was nice because I could just kind of download it locally, fix the things, and then like 
push the changes up, not push the changes up, but actually make the changes on Code Sandbox. So I don't really understand how the GitHub, the Git stuff works, but there is a way if you have a GitHub repo, you can click new from GitHub repo. The URL is going to be like code sandbox slash GitHub slash and then org yeah, you know, owner slash repository. And yeah. Stay up to date. I've done this. The, I've done this. But before. then you don't make changes on code sandbox. You like, cause it, it's always synced to like master on GitHub. So then I was trying to do like, we should have like an Ember map slash Mirage boilerplate, which is just like a bare bones Ember app with Mirage. And every time we bump Mirage or Ember, we can just bump it, push, and then that way, like in the issue template, you should just it should just work. But I was having trouble getting that working too. When I did that, wait, I think I, what you just described, I think makes sense. Yeah, should be yeah, the goal. Should be the goal. Yeah. So there's something weird where if you just like Ember new, push to GitHub, and then create a new sandbox from that repo, it's going to auto detect that it's an Ember app, and the template is going to be Ember. And then like the URL wasn't working. Like I couldn't uh, visit slash tests. I couldn't like navigate around and, the and, links. And for you some want reason. you want it to be a node app. There, there and then is the thing that exactly when I had clicked create new Ember app from Code Sandbox, the template was node and everything worked swimmingly. Like it was the, the the router worked, the URL worked, and I could actually visit slash tests and see my tests running. Cool. There there is a we can put something in GitHub like a dot code sandbox oh, that, cool. that configures it. Oh, cool. Because I was I was messing with this. I tried to get you know Ember Map CMS the app we kind of use for our videos. Yep. I was trying to get that running on Code Sandbox because I thought that would be a pretty cool way to to shoot the video and share the code. Oh, um, nice. There, there were some issues that I ran into where I where I couldn't make this happen. Um, code, they? code Sandbox has like a module limit. Oh. So you, you can't have like more than two hundred modules. Oh, okay. And we have a couple add-ons installed and, and that being an Ember app and right. You know, I think we're at like 16 gigs of modules <laughs> now. And yeah. That will be interesting to see. Okay, well, maybe next I'll try the Mirage boilerplate. Um because that would be awesome to just be able to yeah, you need to update that. You just work on it as you would a normal Ember app. Yeah. Look, find find some like existing thing on Code Sandbox and, and it's like a dot code sandbox or dot you know, it's dot file with configuration in it. But and then, I can say template node, basically. I, I'm not, I have no idea what you can do in there, but yeah. but probably, right? right? And then they we were talking um, just this morning, like they have like deploy. Also, it's like live. Code Sandbox is amazing. You change it and everyone who's looking at that URL gets it. It's like live updating. Um, and they have like a deploy button that you can like deploy your app to now. So it's uh, like now. So I was like, also, we've been talking about running Mirage in server land. What if you could like create a new Ember app, install Mirage, turn it on server land, build a whole Ember app with like Mirage endpoints and then press a button, deploy it. You could like develop and deploy an entire application in the browser. Yeah. And it would be super fast. Like it would be the development time would be very fast. You could do it on an iPad. The iPad Pro we're about to buy ourselves. Well, it's. Not only the development time, because remember we played with React hooks a few weeks ago. Yep, and um, which a few weeks ago they're like totally deprecated now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was amazing. We just pulled up a sandbox and started coding. Yeah, there was no install step. Yeah, no, and it was it like kind of hit me like holy crap! I don't think I've ever hit the ground running that quickly. Right. Yep. And the fact that they have like an actually it's a pretty good editing environment um, that has like yeah it has like prettier installed i've never used prettier before i know what it does it's awesome i've just never taken that mm -hmm. hour time to get it configured and understand how it works and stuff 
the fact that this just has it out of the box means I was using it and I've never used it in my personal environment. So it's like pretty awesome. Are you, are you going to install prettier in all of our projects now? I want to. Yeah. I don't know what the what how it plays. I think if I we had it, I would want it. I wouldn't want it to be. I guess it's better having it in JS and not HBS than not having it at all. But I would want it in HBS. I know that they just added support for HTML, so I wonder if it would work with HBS. I see. So that would be the biggest win for me because, like, when do you put arguments on new line, like arguments to components, like yeah. attributes and stuff? So I would love for all that to just be. And like for making videos too, you just like coding and saving it. Those little typos are the things that trip you up when you're trying to make videos. So yep. I think it'd be awesome to have. Um, but yeah, man, like this really makes me want to, I would love for that to be the way to develop apps. Like in the browser, it's a constrained environment. It's like imagine teaching a workshop, all the differences that just evaporate if everyone's using that shared cloud development environment less differences but i just like this i hate configurability i love the idea of like everyone working and similar like just having more and more constraints in the environments and everything and not like what are just some apps where you like you have to it's like a rails app but it's like a rails app plus plus and like you go to create it and install it oh by the way you have to like do this thing to your database yeah you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah, all yeah, those yeah. things here's some mysql configuration that you know and you got to change it globally right um yeah so yes i mean it's like even before before ember like we didn't have like oh here's how the here's how you give me your ember app i know exactly what to do yarn install ember serve yep or now it's like give me your javascript app yarn install uh npm run serve or something like that it so, used to not like five years ago four years ago it wasn't like that it was like how do i run this thing so i don't i don't mind that different apps have different setup steps it's just you as a developer, One interface. yeah. You as a de you can hide those details, right. and something like Code Sandbox makes it easy to hide those details. And, and it hides even more details too. Do I need to have Ember installed globally for these generator commands to run? Do I need you know all yeah. that kind of stuff? Just don't even need to answer. Do that I need question. Node SAS installed? Like whatever it is, right? Um, again, like more and more of it is going into like the Yarn lock file and all that stuff. But even more of the environment having the services running and all that would be just so cool. Yeah. So. I just really love the promise of that. Agreed. So uh, I, I've been turning on <laughs> more fast boot stuff for Ember Map. So, so I'm pretty confident with our sort of fast boot architecture, and and sort of our our plan was we were only going to fast boot certain pages to certain user agents, and then as we saw fast response times and and no errors, we would start to enable it for the rest of the site. And so I'm, I'm at that point and I'm pretty much going into like all of our popular pages and just sort of turning them on for everyone saying like every page is fast booted for, for any user agent. And, uh, one thing I noticed is surprisingly we use uh screen, like a screen, uh, with Ember screen, Ember screen, Ember media, Ember responsive, something yeah. like that. But it's a service that gives you the, uh, the browser like with basically so so in your handlebars template you can do if screen is large mm -hmm. show this else do this mm -hmm. and if you asked me like how often do we use it i'd say like yeah we use that but but not often mm -hmm. we use like css a lot and, mm -hmm. and we use css for like the responsive screen stuff but you know there's some stuff where we just want to like i don't know enable an extra section or render more components and for that we'll use um, ember screen we use it a lot yeah 
like a lot, way more than I would have guessed. I, I use it a lot. I know I use it a, a okay. decent amount. Maybe that's where this is coming <laughs> yeah. from. No, I think I use it a lot too, mm -hmm. though. You just don't think about it. You yeah, I don't realize. think about it. But one, one of the problems is with Fastboot, you don't have a screen. And Fastboot doesn't know the the client. You know, you're just sending an HTTP request. It doesn't know the screen size. I think I actually think there is like a, a proposal somewhere, and I think you can enable this in Chrome today to send... Uh, as part of your get request, you can send the screen size, uh, but that's not, no one does it. That's not standard. And the, that probably might not be a good, like long-term thing. Cause it's like an easier way to fingerprint the browser. Mm. Um, but, but anyway, uh, when we're rendering in fast boot, we just assume, I think it's like whatever screens default is, which is like, is large enough. Uh, -huh. uh, so you make a request on your mobile phone you render it in Fastboot and you get back like the desktop view, that means if there's any code that's inside an if block that says if screen is large enough, mm -hmm. that gets rendered on the device. From the initial paint. From the initial from the paint. server rendered HTML. And then, and then the Ember, Ember app, app kicks in and then renders a small. So you get this just, I mean, it just looks, it looks awful. It's ridiculous. This, yeah. yeah, nasty folk. Now you can like, there's all this stuff you can do. Like you could do like user agent sniffing. It's like, oh, if this is like a mobile phone, I'm going to just like assume the screen size is 375 pixels. And if this is a tablet, I'll assume 768. But th this is like, I think you get into trouble with this because yeah. you, you, first of all, if, it, if it's a tablet, how do you know the rotation? Right. Because those are, we have two breakpoints that would change with right. the rotation, the 1024 and 768. Right. And then also too, like sometimes I shrink my web browser Right. I browse the site, so my my user agent is still going to look like a desktop um, user agent, and and I but I want the the small thing. So I've been refactoring all of this screen stuff out, replacing it with CSS. Luck, luckily, I've been able to replace a bunch with just regular plain old CSS. Tailwind responsive. Yeah, exactly. CSS media queries, and I don't even write the CSS. I just use Tailwind responsive prefixes. Stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, some of the other stuff I tweak and like re-architect, like I think on our blog post page, we were like showing um, like truncated intro text mm -hmm. and we were changing the truncation size based on the, the, um, the width, the, yeah, the screen size. And then, so, so I'm going to have to figure out like a CSS way. I know there's a way to do this in right. CSS, right? but it's a little more than just saying like, Oh, hidden on small. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, so yeah, some of my thoughts here are like first, um, it seems good to delegate more work to the browser. Like if you can do stuff in HTML, CSS, it's pretty good because it's super fast. I mean, that's why we're server rendering HTML in the first place, right? Because there's nothing faster than the browser painting HTML, even if Glimmer is running on a VM, right? Or yeah, React, yes, yes. whatever. Like, yep. So in the same way, having CSS um, in control of the layout and um, giving it as much information as possible to be as intelligent as possible about the first render seems like a, just seems like a smart thing. One of the things I really like about um, Ember screen, Ember responsive, these kinds of things, first is that when there's a significant layout change, you almost do want to see like that big if else block I mean, absolutely yeah because it just adds clarity so yeah. i wonder if there's something where um we can get some similar api 
that gives us some control flow ish um, declarations in a template, but maybe like just desugars to like CSS media responsive queries. Yeah, I, I don't know because you're there. There's a nice thing about the big if else block, knowing that like if the condition is false, that none of those components in the if block are rendered. Right. And you don't have to. You you think about their life cycle right. as not being right. rendered. Right. Or if it's like we're we're always rendering them but hiding them. Now they have like this. There's like an extra life cycle almost here. Yeah, that was that was something we ran into right because one of the components was like a data fetching component and it rendered. It did both things. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's like you actually want to force separation if possible because, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's another one. That's one of the ones that's not as easy to solve with CSS. Right. We're, we're going to have to move the data fetching outside into another component. Ancestor. And then, and then lift it up in the tree. Yeah, Ancestor. And then do the switching below. Yeah, which is nice. Which is, yeah, it, I think it tells nice. a nice like composition. I, of, totally. Yeah. Other thing I thought about is the testing story with the screen services are so nice because we've done in the past where we've actually had bugs and then I went back and I was like, yeah, we don't have coverage for the mobile here and like the mobile nav is not rendering. So it's like pretty bad that this is not yeah. covered. And you can just stub in the test, you can stub the, the service and right. say, hey, render this for a small screen right. and then assert against it. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really good point. So I wonder what we can do there. So you can, since since we run we run all of our tests in headless Chrome. Mm -hmm. We can specify a screen size. Okay. Uh, when we launch, so we could you could imagine we run our test suite once for mobile devices. Yeah, that would be great for. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. Be... It's nice for CI, but then like when I run Ember Test Server. Yeah, maybe we can just do it for CI. Just for CI, yeah. I like getting the feedback before CI runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. You should totally still be able to run Ember Test and just have it default to some width, but um, maybe you could do this. Maybe you could run Ember Test Server and have a bunch of like headless Chromes that spawn with different mm -hmm. window size. I, there's, I do there's, think this is important though. Yeah, like like we do a lot of responsive stuff, and I mean Ember Map is not even that complex of a site. And we do enough that it's like it's pretty bad that we don't have coverage on all that. We have good test coverage. Like I would deploy our app if the test passed, but. There is a lot. There are some areas that are like, yep. it'd be pretty easy to mess up like the mobile layout. Or I don't know that like when I've changed this thing, yeah, I was really thinking about tablet or desktop and I forgot mobile or vice versa. So yep. um, yeah, that would be good to think about, think through the testing story there. That's really cool though. I, I do think, um, yeah, CSS, doing more with CSS is good. With Flex and Grid, you can get away from some of the dynamic stuff you need to do with JavaScript before. Um, this also makes me think of like animation stuff. Although, like that, that I think is is maybe more complicated. But um, yeah, just doing more, delegating more of the work to the browser. Um, yeah, seems like a good approach. Yeah, I I think the big thing here for me was just there's you start down this path of like using an add-on and it's it's good it solves your problem and right. then you introduce something like fast boot and right. you never could have known right but it's it just affects it touches a lot of pieces right. i guess this is like the hidden complexity of using fast boot right right that 5000 cuts that you don't yeah. realize um i was going to ask um we we soft launched the email course embermap.com slash ember dash component dash patterns yeah and um i think you were working on this page with fastboot yep right so that was one of the ones where this came up 
Yeah, because we had because uh, there's no data on this page because we still don't. You were saying you were turning on Fastboot for different pages of the site, but you still haven't turned it on for any data pages that require data on initial render, right? No, I know I, I do now. You do? Yeah, I did. I've been doing a lot okay. ever ever since <laughs> last week or two weeks ago. I launched like the inlining of CSS. Not serving. Oh, but we don't have tests for those pages. Not serve. Yes, we don't have tests for those. But we pages. do have. We can write. You did write a test for the newsletter, the email course sign up. Yes. Because because it doesn't request data. Yes. So it, therefore, we don't have Mirage running or anything like that. But that's fine because you can just assert against the server rendered HTML. Exactly. Gotcha. What other pages are fastbooted right now for users? Homepage, video index page, topic index page. Oh wow. Uh, a, a one-off video page. Oh wow! And that's that's, and then a blog post page. And then those are tested. Wonderful. Another tested. <laughs> this is another thing. This that's is awesome. a, this is another complexity thing that I realized. Take the email course page, embermap.com, ember dash component dash patterns. Nice little plug. Um, take the email course page. Once we start fast booting that, we now have. We now have like up to three states of that page. We have the and it's a static page. It's a static page. We have three states. We have the like the initial, like the 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 rendered page in the the browser. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're on another section of the site and you click a link to visit that page. Mm -hmm. The browser is going to take care of the rendering. Mm -hmm. We have the fast boot rendered page, and then we have like there's like a loading page. Even though this page doesn't request data, you can imagine that. That if we did load data in this page, you now yeah. have like a loading state for the page. Yeah. So you can have like these static pages that all of a sudden they now have three different states. And I think that's like, I don't know, I think that's really, really hard to deal with. I think that's like iceberg complexity mm. when building single page apps. Mm -hmm. Email course page might not be a good example. Let's take, mm -hmm. the, take the video index page. That's mm -hmm. a better example. You have its loading state. You have its rendered page. On I the definitely server. think there's complexity in the fact that, yeah, you can now render this thing tw two ways: one coming from a link, and making sure the data is fetched, and like that's a whole path. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've already we've talked about this a lot with storefront, and like link by model and stuff like that. Once you have multiple ways to get at a page, even within an Ember app, um, once you add links from different places, that adds those states, and so now basically you have a, another one of those with the server rendered version of it. And so that server has to get the right data and everything. So yeah. Loading state too. Like, yeah. Loading state. Yeah. Because if you're right, if you're in the app and you click the link, you want instant with loading feedback, but maybe on server on the initial render, you don't want, you just want the, the, yeah, you yeah, don't, you want the, you want to wait for you the, want the server. You want to minimize the time to the HTML representation. So exactly. you would want to ship like a loading spinner exactly. and then have your Ember app do more stuff. Exactly. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's just it's iceberg complexity. Yeah, here. yeah. Like so. I think it'll be good once we get Mirage working in Fastboot and start writing tests for some of this stuff. Yeah. Will we ever be able to write tests that's like covers Fastboot and Fastboot mm -hmm. rendered and Ember rendered no, transitions? No, but luckily the Fastboot transition, the Fastboot tests are going to be fairly simple they're going to because you're not testing user interactions so but we can't ever write that test i mean right now we can't where you render the fast boot page assert on the initial render wait for the ember app to load and then click uh, in within app um link that does an in-app transition so render by ember so you i mean you could i think the the abstract you're gonna have some crazy abstraction because like just 
the whole testing setup for each of these scenarios is different. different. The whole way of rendering these, like the the, the assertions are going to be the same. Right. Um, but that's about it. And yeah, you would have like a, a setup application and fast boot hooks. And yeah. Just, User test. It'd be, I think it's two. Yeah, the fast boot a couple te- of those would be good. The fast boot tests are really easy to write. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. I mean, that's good. That's it's a boundary. It's different layers, but it would be cool to have like one end to end, a handful of end to ends. It's like, I guess it just depends on how much of that part you're responsible for and how mature it is and how much you need to test it. Right. Yeah. So pretty interesting though. Cool. Um. A couple of weeks ago, we were chatting about outside-in development. We were talking about some friends of ours who were working on products and some of the products we've worked on in the past and doing designs in Sketch with the email course, starting with the design and then kind of going backwards, kind of going down the stack. Um, I feel like we had something controversial to talk about, and now I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, base, I, 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 yeah. you remember? So, so some folks... Um, I think me five years ago, it's also in this group would have said like, just start wherever you're comfortable. When, if you're building a new product, start wherever you're going to be able to get like the most stuff out, out, start with the back end. If you're, you know, if you're building a back end, you can start with the back end, and that will help you. You can build like a minimal back end, and then that will only expose the pieces that you need to the front end. Um, and so they're like, yeah, there's an argument that like, yeah, where do you start when you're doing product development? Right, right. And it might be natural to right start thinking about maybe you automatically just go for the database tables and the foreign key constraints because you or the foreign keys because you just know like you're starting to do the data modeling in your head as the person's talking about whatever you're going to work on. Yeah. It's also something it's like that's how the data is going to be like stored. Right. So might as well get to that point as quickly as possible. Right. That's the stuff that changes the least, even if the UI changes. Um, but data, here's another argument for this data model is important. Yeah. You know, we've all worked on apps with bad data models and it is painful. Right. It just slows you down. Right. Um, so why is this, why is this, why is it wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So I've come to believe that you should always go kind of outside in always on everything in the, to the extreme, (laughs) um, to take this specific point data model is painful because the data model is wrong but the follow-up question is wrong for what purpose and the answer is for the purpose of this particular ui you're constructing or the particular use case of a consumer so that's why it's painful yeah because the ui is trying to do some query or something that's not supported by a data model um well i would say i would say like on data models that like i've written or i've used that are that are what for what bad Right. I, I would say that, yeah, there's like a business case that comes up and you can't adjust to it. Right. Right. So this is like, I think I, I say this like as a strong point, And I think today there's a lot of this that's not there yet. And like maybe if I was just working on something, like maybe I would just start coding an Ember or something or where I'm comfortable. But like the way we code with Mirage, where we use something like that to figure out help us figure out our data model earlier because it's like faster than running data migrations. Um, even higher level than that would be like doing things in sketch, which if you don't know sketch, it might be slower, right? 
I think today, like the reality, it still makes sense in a lot of ways to do things that's most comfortable to you. But I also think there's big benefits to moving towards this. But I think in the future, I think it's just going to keep going towards this place. Part of this is like the back end becoming commoditized. Like, um, yeah, we're not going to be writing Rails servers for the rest of our careers. We're going to be using something like Firebase that's going to be more more like rationalized and flexible enough that we feel like we don't aren't going to get stuck stuck into something but like writing the controller methods on a, in rail server is just going to be yeah it's just we basically do the same thing every time so it's going to be abstracted away eventually um and i think that's just going to be true of more and more pieces of that so when that's true like um yeah it's it's the outside that determines every step below it we've experienced this ourselves with ember map in particular, the homepage had a big in, in like the the design of the particular design of the homepage had a big influence on the actual data modeling in the back end. Yes, and sometimes you can say like the data model exists apart from the UI, but in this case, this is a good case where I, I don't think that's true, and I think this is a good case that highlighted that um, that the data model actually derived from the UI in a sense. Yeah, we could have come up with three or four different ways to to model that. Given we the pro- given the problem, <laughs> but given the problem, we could have come up with three or four ways that would have satisfied. Um, hey, we need we have videos; they need to be in bookshelves and they right. need to be displayed on the homepage. Right. But I think once we actually had the design, and and we had the Ember code, it was clear about okay, this is like this is the actual actually how we're going to do it. Right. Huh. Right. And I've seen some folks starting some new apps on Twitter, and they. Um, you know, again, our, our heads down coding for a long time and then only kind of at the end getting around to like the UI because they know what the what the, the modeling is, is going to do. But again, this is a this is a part where I think more and more so in the future, as the front end tools get better and easier to work with, there's going to be more of that done ahead of time. And it's just like what we recommend to, to clients that we work with is that the more stuff. Yeah. Engineering, even if you think, you know, the engineering stuff is still the most expensive and um if you can learn anything before you start writing code, it's better. Yeah. So um, all the way from us, the way, again, the way we use Ember and Mirage in particular, like it's kind of, this is kind of like a microcosm, but we have like a fully tested and developed feature with Ember and Mirage before we've touched Rails. And like the quote backend that's needed for that feature could have changed several times just to support that. But by the time it's ready to go, then we go to the backend and just make our changes there pretty easily. Yeah. And, and I guess it's kind of true with like, doing more stuff in sketch we have the design ready before we've written a single line of css right we know exactly how it's going to look right exactly that design is going to change a whole bunch but, right but there's no css written right um what about further like how can you yeah so you, I was, we were thinking about this so because we, we were talking about some of this mirage stuff that we've been toying with and what direction we want to go there and there's some different ideas for like product ideas we have for like how we can make some services around this and you could imagine like, oh, yeah, Mirage and Node, let's start hacking on something. Like we could just start hacking on something immediately. Like let's just, yeah, get a Mirage server working for some purpose of development and testing. Oh, yeah, that, that's going to look very simple. It's going to be like we're going to have Amazon involved. We're going to write a Node server for this and just start writing something. But it's like you haven't really thought of what you're doing. You haven't really thought of what uh, the, the value proposition of whatever you're building is you might have some vague idea in your head. And so you know that this thing that you already have started building is going to enable something, but it pays to think about it 
thoroughly and start what we all say, start from the end. So you can even think about going ahead of sketch and well, sketch is a good place to start because it's constrained. It's like, you're not imagining coding and like we're familiar with Mirage and Ember and all these tools. So we can imagine like, Oh, just install an add on. But like, what does it look like kind of for someone who just comes across it? You can go above that and think about like an email or a tweet and say like, what is the problem you're solving? And what would a tweet look like where someone is tweeting something, you know, imagine again, like the react hooks tweet. That's like, what is that? What is like the, what is like the, the, the crystal clear way to introduce that concept and what problem it solves tired of getting uh, bit by this in JavaScript want an easy fun way to share uh, more com like your components in a more composable way. Have you ever been bitten by like a tree of nested components just to share um, functionality? Check out React Hooks. And so then you're you're already thinking about something different going into it. Like you're being product minded. Like you're going at it from the product angle. Yeah, it's good. And that's also going to drive all these little, you're going to have to make a million decisions, especially when you start coding. Yes. And that having that, all that stuff already done is going to drive and, and act as a compass when you're. I think this is the thing that I think there's more nuance than sometimes people think there's like a correct way to model. But let's, let's talk about modeling the database. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that there's a correct way to do it. I think it is a function of definitely a function of all this other stuff. And what's that quote about the 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 structure of like your data mirrors like the communication structure of your organization? Yeah, it's like a Metcalf's law, something like yeah, that. It's yeah. like the the structure of your services. It, it mirrors the, the structure of communication in your, your right yep. exactly and like thinking about how you communicate and talk about your product is, is an aspect of this and like how it's talked about how the the user plays a role in it the customer plays a role like what the value is so i think all this stuff does filter down so i think it and again starting at the end is like yeah what's the cheapest way to do this see that you could send a tweet out and not have anything done and see what the response is like that's that's where i really like starting at the end it's it lets you Basically, for it makes things less and less costly, right? Um, right. I don't know, like, if they follow like some sort of like scale, yeah, or like function, yeah. But but, but yeah, you can imagine that Sketch is is cheaper than coding, right? Building a front end only is cheaper than building a front end and back end. Using YouTube is ch cheaper than building a website. <laughs> We've talked about this with Ember Map, right? Yeah. Where the first thing we did was make a website for Ember Map and then make a video series. And so we didn't get feedback for months, whereas we could have made a single video and iterated on video style and content and gotten feedback. And if we were to go back and do Ember Map from the beginning, that's exactly what we would do. Yep, totally. Um, so, um, yeah, I think this can and should apply to basically all, all, all products because at the end of the day, the value of your code is derived from the value it provides the users. And so the correct database design yeah is not doesn't exist in a vacuum it all derives from the thing at the end so why not start there and truly understand what it is that you're what value you're providing um yeah so i like that idea of like we've never actually tried it but i think we will it's just like yeah putting a tweet out that maybe even demonstrates like this kind of golden path this like ideal story that you want to tell what if it exists like you could even code sandbox right what if um what if you could write a whole app in your browser and it was automatically synced and um, live updated for anyone who wanted to see it. Like, that's super hard to build. You'd want to hopefully get some feedback on that. Now, you have some intuition about this being a good idea, 
like entrepreneurs usually do because they're they are kind of going into the unknown and so they have to sometimes they have to uh take a leap yeah but, but they're they, taking they, an informed leap and they can also scratch their own itch yes yes exactly but um you want to make sure you're scratching other people's itches too if you're going to start a business around this problem <laughs> so um yeah like you can imagine a tweet and and yeah code sandbox could go a million different ways and he could have worked on x feature or y feature or z feature first and putting some something out there and getting feedback on it is a great way to figure out what resonates most closely with people so i just think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn there and if you think about how we typically develop either products at work or even open source libraries a lot of it is just i'm just going to go work on the next thing that's in my but like we're not getting feedback on things how can we better get feedback and um you know put our feelers out there and get some sense of what's important to people yeah yeah i mean just faster feedback loops means the easiest way to get that is smaller amounts of work right right really really hard to hear as a coder though yes because <laughs> yes. i want to code yes i know i can't it's like yeah you have a new idea for something and you yeah all you want to do is just start banging out the implementation i mean honestly yeah. it's like yeah. the most tempting thing to do um but the implementation is going to yield this magical thing because code is magical which is why we want to go there but if you can just hit the brakes and paint that magical picture in like a fake video or a, not a fake, not deceiving, don't be deceitful, but say, what if, would this be interesting? Yep. You could put 10 things out like that and see which ones get, which ones resonate the most. Yeah. Um, and that could tell you a lot before you ever start writing a line of code. Because even if you want to dive into the implementation, the reality is you're going to spend the next weeks or months on something and that means you're not coding something else. Yep. And also too, it's not, just to be clear, it's not like you have to write a tweet, you have to make a video. It's just finding finding the cheapest way possible to express your idea. Maybe it's like a whole series of blog posts. Right. Or maybe it's a couple tweets. Maybe right. it's um, a bunch of like discussed posts. Um, but the idea, yeah. Yep. So yeah, I think it's just um I think I think more and more teams and individuals are gonna do this. We've already seen it, but they're gonna keep doing it. And that's going to drive, I think it's part of what's driving these tools like the sketches and the modules and framers and all this stuff. Because you're going to have solo people who are like full stack developers who are trying product ideas and they're used to just like diving in like, oh, I need to make a blog. Yeah, I need to make a blog, new Rails, new app, start doing the database, boom. But instead, they're going to be driven to this front end thing. And so that's going to be um, more that's going to take more of their attention and focus at the beginning, especially. Um, and it's going to be more valuable for people. All else equal, the person who has more, uh, is more well-versed in those front-end tools is going to be more successful. And the companies that do that more are going to be more successful. So I think we're going to keep seeing a lot of innovation in those areas. Whereas like you were not seeing innovation in like the back-end areas as much. Or like... I see, okay. Yeah, that's just like a prediction I would make that, um, yeah, the back end relative to the front end stuff is going to become more and more commoditized um, because, yeah, it all, it's all derived from the front end. And so, like, yeah, if you're a back end or a full stack traditional developer who hasn't, has always been like, oh, I don't do the front end, I'm not a designer, I don't know UX, I don't know UI, I think that kind of person is going to be that person needs to adapt and understand that um, 
like there's still going to be a role for specialized folks like that, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be less and less. And I think it's better to understand the front end stuff. Yeah. I mean, yes, you can do way. I, I, I can just look at my last couple, 10, 20 years developing, right. but right. backend teams, every, every time backend teams get smaller and smaller. Yeah. There's no more DBAs, so right? I, yeah. I, I mean, mean, there are some companies, but, but right. seriously, I think back to like 2002 where, yeah, there were like three guys that were deciding what the database table looked like. And yeah, it's just, that doesn't, you don't need that anymore. Right. Pretty interesting. One day we won't be writing HTML or CSS. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, the, that be the dream? that's a logical conclusion here is yeah. that, that you're just making sketch and yep. pressing a button that says deploy. Yep. Yep. Maybe writing a tweet and then saying, oh, feeding, you have an app, feeding your tweet into an app generator. <laughs> Still need state machines though. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. They'll live somewhere. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, I think that's it for this week. Uh, if you like enjoyed this show and want to help others find it, um, leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Have a good Thanksgiving, everyone in the U.S. I guess everyone who celebrates Thanksgiving, just the U.S., right? Yeah. But do people? I think there, there, there's Canadian Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, there but, is. Canadian. But it's like it was like two months ago. Okay. All right, well, if you're an American or if you just want to eat some turkey, happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you next week.